Welcome to Voices, the EISA podcast, the space for cutting-edge research in the discipline of international relations and the audible companion to EISA, the European International Studies Association. This podcast sets the stage for deeper insights into award-winning papers, books and theses, as much as it provides a room for the critical engagement with key concepts in political and sociological thought. Voices, the EISA podcast. Feeds your reading lists, makes cutting-edge IR research audible. My name is Judith Koch. I'm a PhD student in international relations at the University of Sussex, and I'm the production manager of this podcast. Please welcome our today's host, Felix Behrenskötter, senior lecturer in international relations at SOAS University of London and board member of the EISA. Welcome to Voices, the EISA podcast. We are very happy today to host Ximena Kurovska and Anatoly Reshetnikov, who will be talking about their award-winning article, Trickstery, Pluralizing Stigma in International Society, which was published in the European Journal of International Relations in 2021, volume 27, number one. The article won the EISA Best EGIR Award. And uh, before uh, we get into the thick of it, I would like to briefly introduce our two guests. Um, Ximena Kurovska uh, works at the Central European University in Vienna, and Anatoly Reshetnikov works at Webster University also in Vienna. However, Ximena is living still in Budapest, the old home of the CEU, so there is still a connection. Now, as I said, this article won an award. And uh, let me read from the comments of the selection committee. They praised your article as an original and intriguing contribution by introducing the concept of the trickster as a role and form of political action characterized by non-decidable plurality, nicely incorporating yet going beyond the notion of the liminal and practices of stigma management the article opens the door to a novel reading of a type of political performance that exerts power through humor, satire, and the theatrical. The committee was impressed by the author's ability to bring this phenomenon to light through a systematic conceptual engagement with the trickster, drawing on a large set of interdisciplinary literatures and through effectively illustrating its analytical value in empirical examples. A refreshing and important approach to make sense of Russia's positions and actions in the current world order, and with potentially significant implications for how we conceive of the rationality or irrationality of political actors more widely. So, Ximena and Anatoly, congratulations again uh, for this award, for a great article, and thank you for giving me and our listeners the opportunity to hear a bit more about your piece, how it came together, the core themes and arguments and how they carry in the context of Russia's contemporary war in Ukraine. Before we get into the thick of the argument, um, let me ask what motivated you to introduce this concept of the trickster to IR? In other words, why did you think that analysts of international politics needed this concept, and where did you find it? Who wants to start? 
Uh, I'll start by saying thank you so much to the committee, to the readers, to our supporters, reviewers, editors, and all the colleagues that have read the uh, multiple drafts across different journals it's it's been submitted to. So it's a, a long-term um, uh, project, and it comes out of our uh, collaboration uh, through years. And also um, it comes from immersive research on Russia's uh, domestic and international politics. Uh, I should uh, underscore that we probably have slightly different understandings of the concept uh, we developed together, partly because we uh, come from slightly different angles, partly of our own different positionalities. But I also think we agree, though, uh, that we found it really important to introduce the notion of a plural, plural agency to international relations, plural agency or, or plurality, understood not in liberal terms as accommodating diversity, but as actually expressing and enacting contradictory social logic uh, logics operating at the same time. Because we thought this is uh, what we can really decipher in Russia's practice in international uh, uh, society, where we found it um, and how we started developing it, again, through contextual analysis and, uh, analysis and immersive work that we started for our previous uh, paper that came out in Security Dialogue in 2018 on um, industrialized pro-Kremlin trolling, where we develop... Um, Another concept, neutralization, uh, spelled with O, meaning neutralizing political action by political trolling. And uh, we spent quite a lot of time there. Uh, Anatoly uh, conducted an interview with a former troll at uh, St. Petersburg a Troll Factory. Uh, back then, we had to be very tentative uh, when we said that, that that whole enterprise was organized by Prigozhin. Now he kind of admitted it publicly, so we feel validated in our tentative uh, assumptions. Uh, but uh, that was really, uh, you know, this idea that, uh, okay, we um, draw as scholars, we draw and we pay so much attention to... Um, to the notion of uh, hacking and Russia's kind of spectacular uh, hacking incidents and interference and so on and so forth. But we don't fully understand how much what we called back then already the trolling term in Russia's foreign, foreign policy, how much it is connected to domestic uh, politics. And this uh, attempt at basically demobilizing the possibility of value-based antagonism by uh, by um, breeding this fundamental uncertainty and fundamental radical doubt, uh, which uh, I think the concept of a trickstery also uh, captures. And um, as I mentioned, uh, we uh, uh, we found it through immersive work, through working with uh, digital um, uh, ethnographies by folklore scholars. Uh, there is quite a lot of uh, work on folk, uh, uh, how folklore uh, scholars 
conducted uh, digital ethnographies in four Chan rooms. Uh, so there are a lot of analogies between, let's say, global political uh, trolling and uh, Russia's domestic trolling. And uh, we just basically tried to kind of, um, we were looking for concepts that would uh, capture uh, this plurality and folklore scholars themselves, uh, they uh, draw an analogy between trolls and mythical tricksters. And we have this heading in our previous article, Pro uh, Kremlin uh, trolling when uh, tricksters lose their lulls, which basically means when uh, trolling becomes a form of practice which is no longer for this epitome of epitome rationale of trolling, which is doing things for uh, for the joke of it, and when it becomes like a heavy-handed uh, political uh, practice, which is no longer a form of anti-systemic resistance, but a practice that is a form of uh, cooptation of transgression by the mm-hmm. state. Uh, to shield the regime. That's, that's, it, it's fascinating. that uh, and, and, and I love the fact that you uh, were inspired or were uh, drawing on folklore scholars and insights um, from a field that usually we do not associate with international politics, right? And at the same time, your, your ethnographic research, your observation of, um, of Russian um, trolling, so practices. So um, let me... Uh, let me uh, follow on from that and and ask. Okay, so you had this inspiration. You you, you did the groundwork, um, but how did you then develop this particular concept of the trickster? How did that concept came together, and how did you make it your own? And you, how did you find its analytical value? And and can you tell us a little bit more about the collaborative process between the two of you? Um, in in coming to this concept, especially given that, as you said earlier, uh, you may have slightly different readings of it. Thank you for your question, Felix, and thank you for inviting us to this podcast. I'm super happy to be here. So, uh, as Ximena has mentioned already, we we observed uh, Russia's subversive behavior, and we were a little bit puzzled. Um, because on the one hand, it committed this very immoral, very cruel things like, you know, po- poisoning Putin's opponents. Uh, and I have Alexei Navalny in mind or the, the, the Skripal's story uh, that happened in the UK. Uh, and on the other hand, when the crime was exposed, we could not believe uh, how unprofessionally it was performed, how clumsily it was performed. Uh, it invited ridicule. Uh, everyone remembers those 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 two guys who poisoned Skripals who were sitting there uh, and 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 you know mumbling something and couldn't who, who could not answer anything during their interview with RT. Uh, everyone remembers how Alexei Navalny uh, had a 40-minute a conversation with uh, his own poisoner, uh, uh, pretending to be someone else. Uh, so all that seems puzzling. On the one hand, you have immorality and cruelness. On the other hand, you have clumsiness uh, and um, uh, exposure. Uh, and we were trying to find some analogies. Uh, and as Ximena has mentioned, we looked into the folklore uh, literature, we looked into anthropological literature, and we found this trickster archetype. It uh, seemed to be a perfect fit for this specific structural situation when, um, when, when a challenger brings ridicule upon itself. 
when it comes to the collaborative process, uh, I, uh, as Ximena mentioned as well, we we it, it's a, it's a long project. Uh, we've been cooperating for for years, and and I hope that we will continue that cooperation, and uh, we'll soon um, uh, publish our third piece that comes out of this uh, wonderful collaboration with Ximena, which actually deals with uh, Trickster's Wars, and which directly addresses the um, uh, what is going on today uh, in Ukraine. Uh, Ximena is a great theoretician. Uh, I like to hang out in uh, in social media, in chats, and so on. I have uh, uh, friends in Russia, and uh, I really like to kind of go into the detail of the empirics. Uh, therefore, I believe that we have uh, found each other, uh, and we are very lucky to um, to collaborate. Now let's get a bit more into this this concept of the trickster and and try to um, carve out how does trickstery work. Um, so what are the main features of the trickster? How is it linked to liminality, to ambivalence, plurality? You mentioned contradictory logics before. Um, so if you could tell us a bit more about um, the, the 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 core features of this concept, and uh, I particularly would be interested in how important humor is as, uh, in this aspect. It's it's complex, as they say. So, Anatoly, please uh, chip in whenever whenever you see that I need your help. How trickstery works? How the trickster works? I I have thought about it. Uh, especially how to explain it for those not extremely well-versed in the anthropological literature uh, that traditionally deals with this question. And uh, perhaps one way of elucidating it in a straightforward manner is that trickster works by making you think you are a critical thinker. Uh, in the sense that it, it is part of this uh, uh, attempt yeah, of being critical, not uh, buying into the uh, what the powerful global elites uh, uh, tell you, what the West in this particular uh, situation uh, tells you. It is somewhat intimating that you are being part of counter-hegemonic resistance, even though we otherwise know from... Uh, folklore and anthropology uh, that uh, trickstery is not and trolling is not as counter-hegemonic as it seems. It's actually part of the very symbolic system that it tries to implode from within by repurposing and kind of uh, dragging it dragging it in different uh, in different directions. So I used to do this um, exercise with my students, my students, I would uh, give them to read transcripts from UN Security Council when the Russia representative was speaking, either Turkey in the past or Nebenzia now, uh, as an example of trickstery. And very often I would hear that Mm, they do have a point, don't they? Because, of course, they do have a point. And by kind of being dragged into what they are saying about hegemonic uh, power structures, de facto, and the possibility to resist them, and, of course, the uh, idea that everyone should have the right to speak on uh, on equal terms, 
they do have a point, but as diplomats would say, they are being disingenuous. Uh, and I think the uh, both the how trickstery works and why it is also a form of power practice has a lot to do with this pseudo, I would say, critical empowerment, so to say, that we are kind of, uh, we are resisting power structures. Whereas, of course, this is uh, what we otherwise uh, call um, duplicious, uh, what we see as, um, in terms of mechanics of performing it, as over-identification with norms, domestic or global, in, in order to, again, implode them from within. And with our uh, political trolling uh, article, I think what we showed is that the the norm of uh, freedom of expression is being co-opted in order to ridicule this very norm. And uh, in international society, what I also have seen quite a lot in my work on uh, uh, cyber diplomacy, how Russia contests global norms there and cyber norms in particular, uh, it over-identifies uh, with the norm of sovereign equality uh, to such an extent that everybody knows it's a joke. And now if it's uh, humor, I mean, uh, Anatoly may also add uh, to that, I, I have always been a little kind of cautious to say that it's about humor and to, I'd rather put more emphasis on satire because in in the end uh, no one laughs uh, in the sense that it is uh, this is a really serious matter of course humor as other authors have also shown is a serious matter too when it, it might be a, a form of coping mechanism and kind of soothing the sense of misrecognition and uh, by Russia and international society as well. But I think it has uh, much more to do with the uh, political effects of satire that, again, dilute uh, value-based antagonism. There, is, there are a few quotes uh, because I, uh, I think uh, what should also be clarified is that for us, Trickster is not a liar. So this is, I think, also an important thing to uh, cl uh, clarify. There, there are a few quotes that perhaps I would like to bring in from Hyde, perhaps, about uh, Trickster inverting hierarchies and providing, providing perhaps an opening for reform, so the possibility of the emancipatory logic kicking in, uh, but doing so by means of a lie that is really a truth, a deception that is in fact a revelation. And of course, if I think or, uh, on the examples of how Russia operates in cyber diplomacy at the UN uh, level, for instance, this is extremely revealing analytically to capture this practice because they uh, seem, um, on the one hand, they of course, within those countries that are actually quite powerful in terms of despite what we think about the state of the Russian Federation state, quite powerful in terms of uh, digital and cyber resources. Uh, and on the other, they claim to be among those oppressed by greater powers. And uh, they try to kind of, again, push this narrative of all the countries, despite their technological development, having the very right 
to be treated equally. And they have a point. They do kind of, uh, of course, uh, reveal the hierarchies and duplicities and double standards, but what they are doing it for. And I think maybe that's, uh, that's a core point uh, in terms of how trickstery uh, works. Again, diplomats would perhaps uh, say it's just disingenuous, but I think we have revealed a greater logic to it. I, I would only add that uh, perhaps um, um, a better form of humor to compare this with would be would be sarcasm and not satire. And sarcasm is a, is a more sinister way of, uh, of making fun when it is not funny anymore. Yeah, that, that really is fascinating. Um, and uh, and the way you also described and the, maybe the way I hear it as a as an actor that that plays multiple roles at the same time. Um, so there is an affinity with those uh, who are maybe more familiar with this notion of role identities and plural role identities and so forth. But clearly, you captured here something that goes beyond playing multiple roles. And 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 what I what I would like you to maybe say a bit more about is you describe it as both a product and an agent of disorientation. Um, so disorientation and confusion as a political technique, um, is, is, that, is that something that is unique to the trickster? Well, I, that's kind of also a little bit of my, uh, on me. This idea of the trickster being a product and agent of disorientation, this is a very... Uh, again, anthropological understanding in the sense that uh, trickster is a product of liminality, of a test of moving or transitioning from one order to another, but failing this test, failing and being kind of stuck, as we may say, Russia's positionality can be, uh, can be described. So uh, in this formulation, uh, the trickster being a product of uh, an agent uh, of disorientation is that the trickster kind of resides, to use Victor Turner, betwixt and between the positions assigned to and arrayed by law, customs, conventions and ceremonial, and using really this uh, position to increase chaos and feeling kind of alive in chaos, because trickster being an actor or a, a creature that has failed this test of the rite of passage to another symbolic order, so to say, uh, is kind of delegated to this agency that is a, a form of agency by, uh, by chaos and using and repurposing controversies and contradictions within the system. So that's a very anthropological, thinking very much anthropologically, uh, where the kind of the source of power is not order, even if otherwise in uh, Russia's rhetoric, order and stability are very important values in international uh, uh, society. Uh, it, but uh, it is actually uh, enhancing chaos and adding to uncertainty that is a source of, uh, of power. So in this regard, the trickster needs an order in order to exert this effect of trickstery that it plays with almost, right? This playfulness with the existing um, norms and their contradictions or maybe the contradictions of those who, who pretend to act within this order. So is the trickster as a concept logically embedded 
in the notion of international society? Does, does it need this notion of the international society to work? And maybe going also beyond that, given now that there is a, a turn again towards, and I do not like necessarily the notion of the turn, but you know, we now see more work emphasizing hierarchies in international relations. Um, are tricksters only found in hierarchical relationships or do they thrive particularly in, in hierarchies as sort of the, the underdog? Well, the short answer is yes. Uh, but it is a particular kind of hierarchy that we are talking about here. Uh, it is not about uh, strict submission or command. Uh, in this sense, uh, trickster is not a court jester. Uh, trickster does not have a boss. It, he does not recognize an authority. Even though some some actors might think that they can they can control trickster, in, in, in reality, things are much more complicated than that. And in this sense, I think uh, the concept of trickstery is... Uh, very well suited for the idea of anarchic international society. Uh, on the one hand, you have uh, a uh, the anarchic condition where there is no higher authority and there is no boss. But on the other hand, uh, you have an understanding of order as a type of consensus that, that sustains that society and that uh, reproduces it. So in this sense, I think Trickster uh, is very well suited to work here. And... In this, just to follow up uh, on this, uh, you know, those with the uh, sort of post-colonial uh, or working with a post-colonial framework, you know, see probably um, affinities with the, the subaltern and the practices of undermining um, sort of colonial practices and, and control. Um, did you see also a link to that sort of literature and to the notion of the subaltern? The way we contextualize this contribution was also partly in a complex conversation with the post-colonial scholarship across many dimensions, conceptually, normatively and politically, uh, because this is how also the, the, the madness of trickstery comes through. What I mean is that subversion and uh, subversion and counter-hegemonic practice is, of course, uh, valorized. And the, the position of the subaltern is very kind of um, meticulously attended to. And there, there has been an argument, of course, that Russia is the stigmatized, even if partly self-stigmatized, but still stigmatized in international society. We have a lot of uh, literature on that. But as Morozov also has shown in his work, Vyacheslav Morozov, uh, this is this sort of um, situation of subaltern empire that uh, while being, let's say, put in a subaltern position globally is a regional oppressor, so oppresses and stigmatizes uh, others. So uh, conceptually, I think there is a, a contribution and a big question there, can the stigmatize also be stigmatizing? On the one hand, of course, yes. But what does this mean actually in practice? And politically, again, drawing on my empirical interest in, uh, in diplomacy, in cyber diplomacy, I see how the Russian diplomacy resorts to this long-standing, of course, also the legacy of Soviet diplomacy trope of Russian Federation being the kind of the champion and the guardian of the uh, 
decolonial sensibility in global society. And I think this is, this is, um, this is a very um, uncomfortable uh, for, for the observer, or even, you know, perhaps crypto-liberal, I'm not sure. But for an analyst like myself, of course, this is a very uh, a difficult situation because I would say that, and again, drawing back on the notion of trickstery as developed in an anthropology and folklore, uh, this is uh, this is a sort of this is a, a sort of trick, because of course Russia, as the second founder of the world order, uh, is not exactly uh, a, an epitome of postcolonial sensibility. So there is a conversation there. We we did not develop uh, on this aspect, but there is a, a beginning of a conversation. Uh, with the post-colonial literature. So, so I I would like to follow up on this um, before we delve into the concrete case of Russia, namely the notion that you mentioned earlier that trickstery is a form of power, of exercising power, uh, but in 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 a way that isn't probably grasped by how IR scholars usually use the concept. But I was wondering if you could tell us a bit more about how you see power operating through trickstery, what impact, what effect does the trickster have? Um, so, you know, moving beyond, as you said, that this simply being a form of resistance, it can also be a mechanism of governance, perhaps? As I've started uh, to, uh, to develop this, I think that trickstery is, has this potential of exerting power uh, through uh, Corruption by chaos, through uh, this radical uncertainty about normative coordinates. So basically, kind of this radical unsettling, which can also be uh, partly a, a, a critical sensibility, right? That's why there are these kind of half developed in uh, in our work, but I think otherwise existing uh, links. Again, to uh, cite anthropologists uh, here, Horvath and um, Sakolzai, tricksters can consolidate the power by purposefully magnifying the flux in everybody and in everything. This is, uh, yeah, this is a weird sort of power, but I think it is, uh, it is an important uh, sort of power which not, does not necessarily translate into Russia kind of rebuilding its position as a global actor, but it's a form of destruction. This is something that Anatoly and I are actually uh, moving on to work on. When it comes to the difference between the, the international context and the domestic context and, and trickstery as, as governors, uh, as Ximena mentioned before, we addressed this already in the previous article on neutralization, and uh, structural conditions are very important here. In the structural terms, domestic conditions are different because the regime has this monopoly on information. Uh, it's, it's not a perfect monopoly, of course, but uh, at least it, uh, it controls everything that uh, a citizen can, can watch on TV. Hence, the, the strategy of disinformation could be very similar. So bringing in some examples, uh, uh, it is uh, normally about just flooding the audience with various outlandish explanations, various outlandish theories, as happened, for example, after the downing of uh, MH17 uh, in, in Ukraine. So flooding the audience instead of 
trying to persuade, trying to sell one uh, specific explanation of what happened. And that's what Russia does all the time. While in international uh, sphere, this uh, translates into the practice of, of trickstery, of subverting the order domestically, since uh, Russia has this monopoly on information, it translates into simply trolling down the audience into submission. And it is not like a heavy-handed type of uh, uh, submission. Rather, it is more about uh, making the audience uh, disengaged, uh, making the audience uh, tired with all this constant flood of theories and informations. When it comes to this question about uh, how trickster can be used not only as, a, as an archetype or a role, but also as an instrument of uh, international politics, and whether indeed it uh, can only be performed vis-a-vis uh, -vis the West, I, it's an interesting question, but I don't think that... I would say that in general it is uh, always performed against the norm setter. Uh, and the actor who is seasoned enough to understand and, and, and remember the, the, artifi the artificiality of the rules, the artificiality of the order. So in this sense, uh, it is not only about Russia being a trickster. Hungary, for instance, can perform it in its relations with the EU. Trump can perform it in its uh, populist challenge to, to everything a good-hearted liberal would find important and dear. I would say that trickster can be a, an instrument, but uh, it is the type of instrument that can only be activated within uh, certain structural conditions. So if we could move to focus a bit more on um, the appearance of trickstery in Russian political practices, um, how does it play out? You have some examples in the article. Maybe you could briefly summarize them for our listeners. We have these two examples in the uh, in the paper. One is from domestic politics. That's the uh, that's the interview with uh, Skripal's poisoners uh, uh, by the head of uh, RT, formerly uh, Russia Today, Margarita Simonian. And another is my observations uh, from Russia's role in global cyber diplomacy. And in particular, the case of negotiating one UN uh, um, Global Assembly resolution. So we show kind of different scenarios. One is about how the trickster brings ridicule upon themselves. And the other, uh, in terms of the UN resolution, how through uh, knowing the system and being able to navigate it, because again, even if it seems counter-hegemonic, it's actually very much embedded in the symbolic structures of a particular system, this practice, uh, how uh, Russia uh, was able to uh, pull off a resolution that potentially undermined a very long-term process that it, Russia itself set up earlier on. So that is also, uh, uh, for me, an example of this shape-shifting and situational awareness, so to say, when you are ready to drop your position anytime and pretend you never had this in the first place in order to take on uh, something else. 
So uh, in the Skripal case, uh, it's it's an interesting situation because uh, on the one hand, uh, what we discuss here is a, a horrendous international crime. It's uh, uh, it's about two spies going to a different country and poisoning uh, an opponent of the Putin's regime with uh, biological weapons. The same happened before in the case uh, of Litvinenko. And in fact, when investigation went on and when this, this uh, whole uh, thing was discussed in the media, we actually realized that those people are not scary professional spies. They are just incompetent. They could not do their job properly. Uh, and if you follow the Litvinenko case, you would see that uh, they they left traces of, of this radiological weapon all over their hotel room and in, in other public spaces and so on. The same happened with, uh, with Skripals, uh, which tells you that they perhaps were not even instructed how to work with that extremely dangerous thing. And we all know that uh, at least one uh, British citizen died because of that. And... Um, this is how tricksters work. They they forego morality. They are prepared to do uh, whatever it takes to take out one's opponent, to achieve one's goals. But at the same time, they very often do this quite clumsily, unprofessionally, incompetently, and they're okay with that. And when we see, when we watch the interview uh, given by the two by the two spies to Margarita Simonian, which which Ximena mentioned. It's an incredible uh, experience because basically these people are just telling you that, uh, oh no, we are we are regular citizens, and they are also playing with uh, the, uh, the the values that uh, the West finds dear. For example, values of equality, values of uh, um, uh, privacy of private lives, uh, values of, of um, inclusion of uh, LGBT people and so on. Uh, they create this, um, they invite insinuations on their homosexual relationship and so on. Uh, and and they, they play on that quite, uh, quite well. Uh, and uh, we find a lot of trickstery in that practice. And so what is, what is interesting there is that you describe in both of these examples then uh, actors who have a goal. There, there is a clear political purpose and goal, but but trickstery seems to be an instrument that is used to achieve a certain goal, which on the one hand you described as undermining, destabilizing, calling into question the validity of existing norms, um, destroying uh, trust in a particular order. Um, but at the same time, uh, if it is used as an instrument it is used for a purpose to serve other aims, other goals, right? I mean, or do you see trickstery as, as an end in itself? We are working on it. Uh, however, I would say that uh, that uh, if we created the impression that it's a, a well-thought-out strategy, we certainly did not mean it. Because it's... Uh, in our observation and the way we have thought about it over years is basically a mixture of pragmatic and performative rationality, which means that it is tactical, it's not strategic, and the addition of the performative means that sometimes the theatre of it, or as troll in, in, in the trolling environment we would say the porn of it, is more important than actually very concrete um, uh, strategic aims. So this is a little bit of a, 
a blurry, I think, uh, area, and we have to find the vocabulary to anal- to be con- analytically conceptually persuasive. But it's not a well-developed strategic agenda, and then trickstery being the instrument of uh, achieving it. Uh, it's a much more a kind of a bundle that is not so well. Uh, internally differentiated and I think the tactics of it, the tactics and the performance, the the art of it, art not necessarily seen as, uh, understood as high form, um, but really the, the, the situational awareness and the shape-shifting is more important. So yes, the, there is this uh, sort of urge to, that's for sure, undermine the liberal West. I think uh, Russia is a very illustrative example, but uh, certainly trickster is not unique um, for Russia. Uh, other actors can do this as well. And yes, uh, it's a skill, but it is a skill that can be activated only only under certain structural conditions. As Ximena has mentioned, those who are stigmatized, those who aspire to matter, they are the ones who are most likely to uh, employ that skill. Uh, for example, it cannot, trickstery cannot be practiced by uh, a norm setter, uh, tr- or trickstery cannot be practiced by someone who is so marginalized that their voice is, is no longer heard. And in, and in that uh, respect, would you, would you say, um, given that Russia has been in this structural position for quite some time, um, and Putin has been in power for quite some time, would you say Putin has always been and and still is a trickster in the current war um, context. I think he's, he still is a trickster, uh, and as I uh, mentioned before, uh, it is it is not a pleasant sight when when tricksters wage wars, uh, and I basically see this as a as a huge problem because on the one hand. Um, all types of atrocities are possible. There is nothing that can be tabooed from uh, trickster's behavior. That is why when trickster go- goes awry, then uh, everyone everyone is, is uh, disgusted by the things that, that happen. As we can see, it happens with the things that happen on the front line. But on the other hand, since they are not the norm setters, they are not the overwhelming leaders of that situation, what we witness is that many people, they don't really, they take it seriously, but sometimes it looks as if Putin does not know what he's doing. Uh, sometimes it looks as if, you know, he's, he's sending a completely unprepared and, uh, un- and underfunded and completely corrupt army to fight uh, another functioning, another well-functioning army in a neighboring state. But at least this is the image that is being created when, when tricksters go, go, go to war and where the observer, the outside observer, tends to think that, okay, okay, just a little, let's wait a little bit and, and soon the whole rush is going to collapse on its own hand, ahead which might not happen. Uh, I don't know. I mean, the, the tragedy of this war, I think, is that is that one of the sides has a permanent seat in the Security Council and nuclear weapons. That is why no one can do anything about it. That is why no one can, can shut them down. No one can say something or do something that would make them stop. And this is what creates this circle of despair. In the, in the Elder Edda, uh, in Scandinavian mythology, there is this uh, poem which is called Lokasenna, or Loki's verbal duel, or something like this, where one of the most famous tricksters in, in mythology 
the god Loki comes to the to the feast of gods and uh, does some some really bad things there, killing uh, I think a, a servant or something, and then they kick him out. But then he returns and he starts uh, insulting the gods. He starts telling them what what kind of liars they are. He starts telling them that they have disregarded the rules they have they have uh, installed themselves, and and no one can kick him out because uh, uh, at one point in time in the past Loki agreed with uh, Odin, who is the, uh, the, the the norm setter, the, the main god, that they will always invite each other at the table and they will always, always listen to each other. And so one of the most unconvincing parts of that story is when they actually strangle him and, and tie him to somewhere, I don't remember where, because it doesn't go through. I mean, the explanation does not from within the rules of that specific narrative, it is not clear how exactly they make him stop. And uh, this is the case. This is the same with Russia, in my opinion. We drew an arc from folklore to to Russia to Nordic mythology, and some may even know the figure of Loki from the Marvel universe uh, movies. Um, I, I think this is. Um, for me, an extremely valuable contribution, this concept, that I think our conversation has shown it exposes a sort of political practice that is maybe more prevalent than we know or that we have uh, realized. And, and this concept helps us to see that. And I think this is of great value. And so I was wondering, maybe my last question is, how do you expose a trickster? How do you call out? How do you disarm or undermine the trickster? Is that actually possible? That's an interesting one. We, uh, as Anatoly, has started uh, mapping out our next uh, endeavor towards, I think, a more normative argument about the dark trickster and the cruelty of the stigmatized. And uh, I think at least part of uh, how, how we will think about it, your question, will come out through this process? Well, um, I can say for sure that one thing that one should not do with a trickster is to try to moralize them, because this is what they are thriving on. When it comes to a, a, a vital strategy of neutralizing the trickster or stopping the trickster, I guess we uh, we need to consult the folklore. We need to consult the stories and see how exactly tricksters were handled with. Uh, in those stories, uh, one of the ways to do this is to channel tricksters' energy into, into something better and something kinder. But this is uh, also a very problematic thing, normatively speaking, from the point of view of the norm setter. Another scenario under which tricksters come to an end is that they actually disappear, they die. Tricksters often die, they often destroy themselves. Alternatively, however, they can also destroy the world. This is what happens with Loki, uh, who uh, initiates, ignites Ragnarok, the end of Well, I had thought initially, maybe how about simply uh, ignoring them, if they are thriving on audience and performativity, Maybe ignoring the trickster is is the easiest approach, but that probably is uh, is wishful thinking. Um, so on that note, I think we already sketched out uh, your future research agenda here, um, and uh, I I want to uh, thank you uh, for what I think was a was an insightful and illuminating conversation, um, Xiomena and Anatoly. Uh, I think your piece is a great example um, for the creative introduction of a new concept. 
um, and demonstrating its analytical value. So thank you uh, both for writing it, uh, for um, uh, helping us to, to understand it um, and uh, to develop it further. So I wish you good luck uh, with your future endeavors and in particular your collaborations. Thank you for inviting us, Felix. Thank you for listening. Please find all information on today's interview guests and hosts in the show notes. Voices, the EISA podcast, is available on all established podcast platforms. If you liked it, subscribe now. Voices, the EISA podcast. Feeds your reading lists, makes cutting-edge IR research audible.